The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Julia, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Kwame, how's it going? I am doing fantastic. You know, spending time with you is so nice that I we had to do it twice. So this is the second time <laughs> recording this episode. So thank you for your patience. Uh, it is 6 a.m. my time. And what time is it there where you are? Uh, 6 p.m. But uh, <laughs> suck it up, my friend. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Because I, I, last time we, we chatted, it was early for you. So this is, this is payback. Now we're even. But um, how about we get started by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, Kwame, thanks. So my name is Julia Hewitt and I brand myself as the negotiator. I have um, an MBA degree qualified with a distinction grade average, which is something I'm really proud of. I have over, I have about 25 years experience working in sales and sales leadership. And um, I work with small, medium and even global businesses as well. And essentially what I do with them is I help them put sales processes in place so they can make more sales and I help them learn how to negotiate so that they can actually have better outcomes in negotiations. I also write for the media um, on selling and negotiating and I've got a couple of uh, white papers that I have published as well. But um, something cool that someone said about me um, about a year or so ago after my workshops that I've started to use, they said, um, man, Julia is a superhuman when it comes to selling and negotiating. So I love that. I thought that was really cool. Two fun facts about me. I genuinely believe I missed my calling as a hostage negotiator and I can recite the alphabet backwards. Both very helpful life uh, life skills. <laughs> yes, incredibly helpful, um, especially if you have a field sobriety test. That's what they make Absolutely. you do in, in the US, say the alphabet backwards. And whenever I see the videos of people failing at that, I say to myself, could I pass that? That's <laughs> <When> I... <laughs> <laughs> my party trick. I can, I can say it backwards, yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> Well, great. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. And uh, I would say as, as somebody who's in the field of negotiation, um, you have people who can who can speak to sales and speak to negotiation, but not somebody. It, it's very rare to see somebody who is highly competent at both sales and negotiation. So that's a really exciting blend. And, and I'm excited to jump into that today. And so as far as the three topics we're going to talk about, the first one is using silence as a negotiation tool. The second one is overcoming common objections. And then the last one is utilizing curiosity in order to overcome those objections. And I'm sure those last two are going to start to blend together. So we'll be uh, pretty open to the flow in the, in the second half of the interview. But 
let's start with silence because silence is obviously something that's an important part of an, every negotiation. And in, um, in multiple episodes, we've touched on it, but we haven't made it a specific focus. So I'm excited to jump into that. So what are some things we need to keep in mind when, when it comes to silence? Yeah, it crossed my mind to say nothing for about the first 30 seconds when you asked me that, just so I could show, you know, just so I could uh, apply some silence. But then we might have had people opt out of listening. Is something wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, So silence is a really, really powerful tool and very misunderstood in selling and negotiating. And what we're trying to do, so when you have a either, so we'll we'll refer to them, I guess, generically. Um, You've either got a prospective customer or an opponent that you're negotiating with. So whichever one of those, I'll interchange those words. You're looking to get an outcome. And what we're trying to do, we have our outcome in mind and someone else may or may not have an idea of their outcome. But when we're really present and in tune, we try to listen for something which I call the clues. We're looking for a clue. Everything they say, every verbal and nonverbal response that we receive gives us a clue to what they are thinking about what we've said, what we've presented, what they've seen. And so we really need to be in our selling process and our negotiating hyper alert to the clues. That is really, really difficult to do if you don't take time to slow down the discussion and really listen to what's happening. One of the biggest things that I see um, go wrong all the time is people talking through and um, and break in the silence. So they'll ask a question, and then they'll uh, they'll jump in, or they get nervous. By nature, and you would have seen it yourself, people get quite you know when the pressure is high, we tend to behave out of context. So my thing is, when I get really nervous, I tend to talk quickly. So I often say to someone, just tell me to slow down, Julia. Tell me to slow down. <laughs> so. Sometimes we do ridiculous things when we're nervous and when the pressure's high. For most people in selling and negotiating, what that is, is they feel pressure to keep the conversation going. They just don't apply that silence. They just fill in the gaps. Makes sense. And so there's so many avenues to go down for this. So let's go ahead and and start off with getting comfortable with silence. Because one of the things that I've recognized we often do in as negotiation trainers is we say, hey, this is what you do. But what you've identified there is there's an anxiety, a feeling of pressure that leads people to do this. It's not that they go into the negotiation and say, hey, you know what, strategically, I'm going to talk through all of my questions. <laughs> it, it's, it's a response, a natural psychological response to the pressure that they're feeling. So for the person who acknowledges, yes, I talk too quickly, Yes, I feel uncomfortable in silence. How can we get them to adopt a mindset that allows them to be more comfortable and confident in that silence? When someone feels pressure to talk through the silence or they can't apply silence, a couple of things that people can do. And where they normally apply it is when they've or when they where they should apply it is when they ask a question. And I'll give an example of this shortly, what that looks like. But when you ask a question, you need to shut up. Essentially, that's what you should be doing. And so when you ask a question, the discipline to put in place is to sit in the silence. Realise and recognise yourself where the question is and then say nothing. Another way people can apply silence or practice being silent is slowing down how you answer a question. So when you're asked a question, because people can feel uneasy when uh, there is a bit of silence and they feel the need to quickly respond... Applying some silence will actually slow down the conversation so you can both 
actually get towards the outcome quicker. I call it the slow down to speed up. We tend to think that we can get to the negotiation quicker by talking lots and filling in the gaps and not having any silence. But what that does, it actually slows everything down because if we're filling in and we're, we're conscious of just filling in the silence, we are most likely to be bringing in new information, going off on tangents, not listening properly and getting sidetracked. And what we're trying to do in a sale or a negotiation is get to the quickest, uh, find the straightest route to the end. And the way to do that is to slow down the conversation because we are want to be able to do that, ideally, in the least amount of interactions possible. You ask a question, I'll give you some information. Ask a question, I'll learn something about you and answer appropriately. Not tell a story here, fill something in here, then we're going sideways and it takes us a lot longer to get to the end of, to the end outcome. So really important when you're asking a question, recognise you've asked it and then stay silent. It's the first person who speaks loses. <laughs> this is great because um, I think one of the things that really is, is helpful about the way that you've approached this is that you've given specific areas where people need to stay silent. You've made it abundantly clear the key areas in the conversation where silence is appropriate. When asking a question, injecting some silence there. And then when responding to a question, injecting some silence there. I think that's really incredibly helpful for the listeners too. And uh, you said you were going to tell a story about the, uh, the silence? Yeah. So just before I do that though, Kwame, even when uh, another tool or another technique people can use, when they're in, other to, in order to slow down, because the actual goal is to slow down the conversation by using silence. So when someone asks you a question, rather than just jumping in, stop yourself and say in your brain, one elephant, two elephants, three elephants, not out loud, that would be weird, but in your brain, in your mind, and then answer the question. Because what you'll do, so either either you're counting out loud, and it was probably, you know, if you're not used to doing that, it may seem like you've been silent for a whole minute, but it really is, we're talking three or four seconds here. And what it does though, it does two things. It shows that you're really listening. It also gives you an opportunity to think up the right answer, not just any answer. And when we don't apply silence or people don't apply it, they're throwing out any answer, not the right answer. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. So, and you would have seen it, I'm sure, yourself and for lots of listeners, especially in their work in sales, there's a, a phrase that is a lot called show up and throw up. And the show up and throw up, we would have all seen it, especially if you're working in, um, uh, in a sales environment, a, a salesperson gets a potential customer in front of them and they just vomit everything all over them. They just talk and talk and talk. This is why our company is so great. This is why our product is so fabulous. This is why our service is so amazing. And they're just vomiting all over the customer. And what they're doing in that is they're missing the opportunity to find the clue or see any clues, or to be present and read the play. You can't read the play in a sale or a negotiation if you're just concerned with getting to the outcome really fast. You miss all those signs and all those clues. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and, and that's really helpful. And I like the counting example too, because um, that's something that I utilized after asking a question. I'm excited to use it now when answering a question. I never thought of that one. But I remember in one of my mediations, I was having a mediation and I presented one of the parties in a, in a caucus, in a separate room with, with them, uh, some information that was potentially damning. Oh, no, it wasn't potentially. It was, it was bad for them. Ne- needed to give them some time to digest. And so we were having a conversation. I shared the information and then asked them a question. And so I started counting. And I got all the way up to 43. And huh. um, it was awful. It felt terrible. <laughs> but uh, the thing that kept me in that conversation was saying to myself, listen, when you're doing workshops, when you're coaching, when you're um, on the podcast, this will be a fantastic story to tell. So just hang on <laughs> to, to the silence. Don't say anything. And it was the critical part of the mediation. He adjusted his position and, and made the necessary concessions. And oftentimes when you are letting people sit in silence, it's not that nothing is happening. There's a lot of cognition that is occurring. And oftentimes yeah. when you ask the right question, you're moving them from their current position to a new position. They need to adjust the way that they're seeing the world. And yeah. it takes time for them to do that. And if you interrupt the process, they might be in the process of moving, but they haven't completely gotten there logically. And so then you Absolutely. jump in exactly. and then they say, right there. Yeah, exactly what I was just about to say, Kwame. So if you interrupt someone's silence, you're interrupting their thoughts. We get caught up sometimes on assuming or thinking we know what someone's going to say or how they respond. So we have this pre-prepared answer and then we just spit it out essentially before thinking it through or waiting for the silence. But because we should be really hyper alert to listening and watching for the clues, we have to let that silence play out because if someone is silent, it means they are thinking. And if you cut them off and interrupt that, you've interrupted their thoughts. And if you've interrupted their thoughts, they're probably going to say something different, which means that what you say next is not going to give them uh, the response that they need or they're after. 
the classic one I see all the time is people say something like, um, uh, so the price for this item, um, Kwame, is, uh, is $120. So um, we have instalment plans that can be used for the $120. Is that something that you are, you are looking to, to pay? How does that price sound with you? Man, just ask the one question. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story, right? So I tell this that um, I have um, I dated a guy back in my uh, in my former life as a single person, and um, this guy who I should preface by saying was really nice. We only had one date, um, but he was nice, and um, and my friends and I referred to him as the prompter. So this guy has featured in my workshops for about the last hmm, ten years, maybe, and. Um, and I tell a story about him. And before I tell the story, the reason I tell it is because I see this happening in sales all the time. People get nervous. So we tend to do things that we wouldn't normally do or say things that we wouldn't normally say. And we think that silence is bad. It means, oh, we don't know what they think. Well, they must be thinking something bad. But no. So people say ridiculous things. So when I went on a date with this guy, um, we'll play a game if you're happy to play. I will be uh, him and you will be uh, Julia. Happy with that, Kwame? Oh, yes. I feel fabulous. <laughs> you look you look stunning. So, um, so Julia, um, nice to get to know you. So, um, yeah, what do you do for work, Julia? Yeah, so I'm a Do you, do you work for... like in an office or do you work for – um, maybe you work from home or, you know, do you work for a big company or what sort of company do you work for? Well, I work on my own and uh, then uh, my husband spends about two weeks away doing some work. So I, then I have to work a lot from home, taking care of the little ones and then he comes back. So it's uh, it's interesting putting my schedule around that. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's flexible. So I'm dating you and you have a husband. That's not weird. So that... <laughs> it is... <laughs> It is 2020. This is, everything is weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Everyone has multiple husbands, right? Okay, good. So, Julia, Julia from 10 years ago, who wasn't married back then. Um, so, um, what do you like to do on your weekends? Yeah, well... Do you like, like to, to go to the beach or maybe you like to eat out at restaurants or go to a bars or go nightclubbing? What do you like to do on, to relax on a weekend? Well, usually I like to go to the beach and maybe play some tennis. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ash Barty. I uh, like to try to be like her when I hit the court. Cool. So this guy, the prompter, he did back then what I see in lots of salespeople and negotiators do. In selling and negotiating, we try and ask really good quality, open style questions. And that takes a lot of practice to move our natural style of questioning to be open style. Most people by default, they ask closed questions. So what I see is a shift. When people have um, become better at asking more open questions than closed questions, what they do is they do this. So um, what's your budget for this um, um, accounting or this car that you're looking to buy, Kwame? What's the budget? Are you looking to spend maybe um, like over $10,000 or less than $10,000? How much were you looking to spend? So that happens all the time. What people tend to do, I see it very often, and it's a behaviour that absolutely needs correcting. They ask a question, which is open, then they make it multiple choice, and then they paraphrase it or ask it again. So really common. So um, 
Kwame, did you want to get started on something um, at the like, Did you want to go ahead and purchase right now or maybe you wanted to wait or is now the right time for you to get started? This item costs uh, $5,400. So is that something that you, you think you'd be able to spend on this? Um, is that within your budget? How much were you looking to spend? What's your decision-making process? Um, have you got a criteria that you're, you're looking to match here or how will you be making a decision? Really, really common, really, really annoying. And what people are doing is they're filling in that silence with nervousness. So the, the, the tip here to correct the behaviour is two things. It's ask the question and then shut up. But the even harder part is when you think of the question, strip your word count back by about 70%. And that's what really makes a big difference because um, when I teach people the power of asking open-style questions and we think up some, they start off really long. And I say, right, just ask me that question, strip it back. It's really, really uh, difficult to do. But what you're trying to do is talk less so that you can allow space for more silence. Really hard to do if you're asking the same question four different times and paraphrasing it. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. Right. I, I really appreciate the, uh, the advice of scaling back the question 70%. I think that's powerful because we have to recognize, again, another psychological principle that is at play during these conversations, which is priming. And so sometimes what we do is we prime people to answer in a different way. And so with priming, what we're doing is we are prompting new thoughts with the introdu introduction of a new stimulus, which in this case, which would be, would be the words that we're using. And so we are leading them to respond differently than if we would have just asked a very simple question with fewer words. I think about it like a, um, like a newscaster um, here in the States, and I think it's probably getting more polarized everywhere. Um, it's really tough to find a place that's kind of down the middle, more objective. Everybody has their angle. And so what you would see the people do is they would ask this really long-winded question where they're just telling their political ideologies and then they say, and what do you think <laughs> afterwards? And so you're definitely leading in that regard. And, and here's the thing, for, for you listeners out there who say, man, this is something that I struggle with. This is something that I, I, is really tough for me to deal with. Um, remember, it's, it's a process and you don't need to be perfect. You need to be more self-aware. I think that's the first step because there are times in my negotiations and when I'm acting as a mediator where I might ask a question and I start to get a little bit long-winded and in the second question, the second sentence that's unnecessary, I'll say, actually, nope, that's it. Then just restate the question very simply and then yeah. say, say quiet. So you think about some elementary questions that if you are um, in a negotiation with somebody or you're making a sale, what you're trying to do early on 
is find out or learn about the other person's positions or motivate or position or motivation or what emotion is behind it, right? You're trying to work out what is leading them to hold their position or to get towards a the position they're seeking. So early on, we're trying to ask, trying to ask discovery type questions, open style, to, so short question to try and get lots of information back. One question that I see um, amongst many in that stage is someone that might be say something like, so Kwame, um, you know, why is it that you want to um, achieve X, Y, Z here? You know, um, I can see that you've been doing this and that and here we are and you've tried this and we've talked about this. Um, why is it that you want to get to this outcome? I, I just want to understand that. Now, if I strip that back by about 70%, what that pretty much boils down to is, Kwame, why is this outcome so important to you? That's brilliant. And so we've just got to be really aware, and, and I see it all the time when people start asking open questions, they're really long, really long, and then we try and strip it back to the bare bones, and they are things as simple as, or as short as, hey, what's important to you here? What is it that you're trying to achieve? What do you mean by that? What's the impact of getting this decision wrong? What's the cost of not acting now and doing something? How are you gonna feel if uh, in three months time, nothing, three months from now, nothing has changed? So short questions, like that will give you maximum amount of information and allow for some of that silence to play out so they can really, really sit it through. So I'll give you an, an example of a business I worked with recently. So I was um, putting together a plan for them for their, their growth strategy, which included some sales strategy and also some negotiation. And this business wanted to um, have a plan in place for um, they're currently operating with about $29 million a year in turnover, so sizable business. And my plan was to help them reach 50 million in three years' time, which is very, very um, achievable for them. So we're talking about a decent-sized business. And this guy's a pretty big player in business. And when I was talking to him about this goal of his, I said to him, um, "Why 50 million?" And he said, well, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, 26 or 29, whatever it was. I said, That's a lot of money. Is that not enough? Tell me why 50." And we sat there in silence for probably, I reckon, a good 20 or 30 seconds when, as you know, sitting in that silence feels like 18 hours. And actually, the first thing he said was, I've never been asked such an insightful question. So we still hadn't answered it. So do you know what I said? This is what I said. You've got to sit in the silence, right? Give, him the, give, them, give people the room to think things through and respond how they want to respond. Because prior to that, not asking the right questions or, or talking through that silence or prompting would not have got that response. So we're also trying to build trust in doing this. So, you know, him saying something like that to me, man, that's the most insightful question I've ever been asked. It really helps me to, to show that I genuinely care about what this guy is trying to achieve. We're slowing down the conversation so we can get to the root of the problem here. And then we can talk about things, you know, 50 million, that's still a lot. Why is that important to you? And we're trying to strip back the amount of times or the amount of words I use so I can really open up how many words he gives me back. I love that example because it's such a simple question. And I think that leads to another one of the, the major barriers when it comes to number one, silence, but also simplifying your questions is that there's a little bit of ego 
involved. And when you are asking a question, it's a, in many ways, it's a symbol of humility. You have information within the confines of your mind that I don't have access to. And in order for me to get more intelligent, I need your help. And so I think a lot of times before the person asks the questions, they feel obligated to show how smart they are by adding some more words. <laughs> and what oh, yeah. I found is that in a lot of these negotiations, mediations, conflicts that I, I find myself in, it's the questions that sound stupid or simplistic that yes. are the ones that give you the most yep. benefit. Yeah, people get try and get too clever with their questions. And I, I, I spend, when I do, I, and I, man, I run day-long workshops on how to ask the right, right type of questions. And one thing that comes up time and time again is people try and overcomplicate their questions. And when I say things like strip your word count back 70%, it comes back, yeah, so right now Harvard again. And eventually we get to a question that's probably seven or eight words or five words. And I said, that's the question. And, you know, I can get there by saying to people, just tell me what you want to know. And I say, right, if we weren't doing a role play or a situation that's negotiating here, what is it you just want to ask me? And, they, and eventually they say something like, I just want to know why that's all they have to spend. I say, so ask me, why is that all you have to spend? They're like, oh, I didn't know I could ask it that way. <laughs> people try to get too clever. So it is, it is so important when you've got the right sort of questions to not ruin them by talking through that silence. I do a lot of work with people that have sales teams that work on the phone. And especially now with COVID lockdown, most businesses have grounded their sales teams. So whether it's a business owner or a salesperson working from home, people are now using the phone. That's their greatest tool to make sales um, if they're in that type of environment. And all the time people say, oh, it's so hard to apply silence on the phone. I agree. It is hard. But things that are hard are necessary. And often what lies on the other end of hard is greatness, right? So it is necessary to try and apply silence on the phone. And people say, oh, but I can't see them. I don't know if they heard me. And I always say to somebody, the principles are identical on the phone. Just because you can't see someone, you still need to ask the question and sit in the silence. And they say to me, yeah, but what if they didn't hear me? And I say, well, what do you think they'll say if they didn't hear you? Oh, I'm sorry, Kwame, what did you say? I didn't hear you. That's what they'll say. <laughs> but you can't just assume because they're silent that they didn't hear you or the line's gone dead. They're thinking. So silence allows you to get the clue how they respond and what they say next. And, you know, another example in giving price and talking it through, um, I work with lots of people selling, working in professional services um, and lots of people working in property, so higher, higher ticket priced items. And often I find when someone lands the price for something, they assume because someone's silent that the price is bad every single time. And... Even if you assume it is bad, imagine if it's not. You just ruined your, your um, opportunity to close that opportunity or that, that negotiation through talking, by talking through it. So people do things like, so the price for this, um, I don't know, for this house, Kwame, is well, it's $568,000. So, um, yeah, so how, how do you feel about that? Or, um, yeah, is that something that you, with the, with, that's within your budget? Now, we actually don't know. If you're thinking, huh, 
that's probably about what I thought it would be. Or you might be thinking, well, that's about 15 grand less than it would be that I thought, or that's way too expensive. But we often get caught up assuming that the silence means that Kwame hates my price. But we don't know if Kwame hates the price if we haven't let him respond. We've missed the clue. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And I think this, this gives us a, a great opportunity to transition into the common objections too. Um, yeah. Because sometimes if we give them the space to respond and then they do articulate that the price is too high or maybe this isn't a good time to buy, those types of common objections, now we have a, another clue and we can respond with curiosity. And, and for the sake of time, let's blend those last two points together, dealing with common objections and utilizing curiosity to deal with those common objections. So let's say you ask the great question, you utilize a little bit of silence, they respond and they say, oh, well, the price is too high. What are some things that we can do to address those types of uh, concerns in the negotiation? So when you get an objection, whether it's something to do with price or the market or the product, what we're trying to do is use logic and curiosity because ideally someone has a problem or a challenge and what you're just trying, you're simply just trying to work out if you are the right solution or if you have the right solution. And you can't just assume that you have the right solution for everybody because plot twist, you don't. So you want to make sure that you're using that log that curiosity and asking lots of questions. Um, so if someone's objecting to your price or the market or a product, Hey, what do you mean by that? Can you tell me a bit more about what you mean? Why is this an important thing for you to um, to get some resolution on? Even things like, is this, a, is this a deal breaker? We're trying to use logic and curiosity to solve a problem. And we can't do that, again, if we're not using silence and we're talking through our answers or talking over somebody. So I guess the principles that we have to use when we get an objection are we're trying to put ourselves in someone else's position to understand why they feel that way. And we can't understand why, that feel, why they might feel that way unless we ask them. And that's the, the big missing part that I see in objections. So people are all the time, when someone objects to price, I see people launch straight into talking about their value. No, no, Kwame, the reason, um, you know, I get, I get that that might sound expensive, but this is the reason I priced it this way. Um, or all my competitors are X, Y, Z, or you'll find that we are the cheapest, whatever it is. That's actually not helpful because that's more about me and less about you. Your customer cares little for you. They care, who they care about is them. So when you get an objection, this is the part where you really can either make or break the rapport and trust you've got because this shows how hell-bent you are on trying to make a sale or get towards your negotiation outcome with little regard to what's important to them. So again, you're looking for the principles to slow down the conversation and take time to be curious. Hey, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I want to work through this with you. This is really important. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, the worst outcome for me is that you think that when you leave, but I don't get the opportunity to give the information that you need. So uh, if you're happy, I'm happy to talk that through with you. So we're slowing things down to speed up so that we can get to the outcome the best way and the smoothest way possible. So the principles are slow it down, put some silence in, ask lots of inquisitive style questions to learn about that other person's position. Don't jump in with your solution too fast because if you haven't asked those questions to understand their position, 
your solution does not matter. It's not, you'd miss the boat. Right. And for the listeners out there, it's, it really is that simple. The, the difficulty is in execution. We yeah. need to not only have the strategy, but we have to execute effectively. And it's really tough in the moment, especially if this is something that's really important to you to ask <laughs> the right question um, off the fly. And so that's why we have the free negotiation guides that you can download from the website. So if you check the description, you'll see a link to them. Or if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get access to over 15 free negotiation guides from salary negotiation to general business negotiation, introverts guide to negotiation, car negotiation, all of it is there for free on the website. So look into that because it'll make it easier for you to execute the, the great strategy that Julia's put out there. And so when it comes to overcoming these objections, like you said, we have to slow down, inject some silence, inject some time and ask great questions. Um, what if you recognize the barrier isn't substantive and it's actually an emotional barrier? What changes? Yeah, give me an example, Kwame. So let's say it's a situation where you're familiar with the person and you know that they, they have the money, but people usually throw up, oh, it's expensive as a, a throwaway excuse to just end the conversation. And you recognize that it, it does fill a need for them, but there's something else that's in the way. You're not exactly sure about it. Maybe they struggle to commit. Um, maybe they're just afraid to do what it takes to, to solve the problem. We don't know what it is. But if you start to get the feeling that the barrier is more emotional than substantive, um, does that change your approach at all? Yeah, I have a question that I ask here. And I always believe that if you have the right intention and you have a curious, um, inquisitive position you're coming from, I'm a big believer in that nothing is off limits to be said. Everything is on the table if you have the right intention behind it. So when I feel like um, there's that situation at play and because of the way that I negotiate and I sell and I am naturally inquisitive by nature, I have a couple of things that I say. One of them in particular, if that, you know, if I feel like you're throwing something that isn't a real thing, I will often say, so if you throw that at me, the first thing I will do, you've got it, I will do nothing for about three or four seconds. I will sit in speed in silence. And I will respond something like, Kwame, can I respectfully ask you, if you don't mind, what is the thing here that isn't being said? I like that. That is a really great question. And so when you ask that question, what types of things have you heard? Oh, I see body language change immediately. It's like I busted them. Because <laughs> <laughs> you only ask that question when you know there's something else. And there's no point saying, um, is there something else? But, you know, it's in asking the question, and it is, you know, it's taken me, I've been working in sales and negotiation for 25 years now, and... This is a discipline that you, that you can learn, like a new language, and essentially it is a language. And I believe it's the words that I use and the way I ask it. So if you're throwing out at me, so can just do this live, throw out at me something to do with price where you think it's not the real thing, just throw something out, give me a cheap yeah, shot. It's, it's, it's just really expensive, Julie. I just, I don't think I can do that right now. Hmm. Kwame, 
do you mind if I ask you something, if I can be bold enough to ask you, sure. just respectfully? Um, what is the thing that isn't being said here? Well, um, well, that's a very insightful question, Julia. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what you say next, right? Because what I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm also trying to test that you go, oh, and, and sometimes people say, what do you mean by that? And depending on the level of rapport you have with someone, and um, I sometimes, well, no, I think often I, I build rapport so I can be a bit cheeky with someone. Sometimes I'll respond by saying, Kwame, I think you know what I'm asking you there. <laughs> so I, it's like I know that you know that I know that you know that we know that we all know, right? Just say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or other times, if I don't feel like I can throw out a cheeky line, I'll say, I feel like there's something else here. And the worst outcome is that you leave with that something else because you've still got a problem that's, that needs solving here. So whether my item is twice the amount that you thought it would be or five times the amount, you still have a problem that needs solving. So whether I'm going to be the person to solve it or not, it doesn't make your, your problem doesn't go away if, unless you fix this problem. So if you leave and you don't, um, give me the opportunity to give you all the information, then you just can't make an informed decision. So I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm trying to give you the right information so that you can make an informed decision as to what to do here. And I can't do that if you're holding things back. And I just, I just get the feeling that um, there's something that's not being said. I love that question. It's powerful. It's powerful because yeah. usually in those situations, there is that, that something that people are trying to hide. And when you put that spotlight on it and say, nope, I see it, you know I see it, let's talk about it. I think that's, yeah. a, that's a great way to get it out to the surface. And, and um, here's how, I'll show you how to ruin the question. Here's how to ruin it. So Kwame, if you don't mind, if I can ask you, um, what is the thing that isn't being said? Is it that you are nervous about the price? You think that the price is too much? Or is it that you think that um, maybe that the market, you've got some reservations about the market, what's on your mind there? I've completely ruined that question by being the prompter and making it multiple choice and paraphrasing it. So remember, small word count, ask the question, shut up. Right. I love it. And I think that's a, good, a great place to end here. And, and listeners, you remember how I talk about the five-star point. Um, what tip in here is the thing that makes you say, hey, this is a five-star podcast? Um, well, there were so many here that I, I, didn't even, I wasn't even able to pick one. Um, so if you found something in this episode that was valuable, please uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, just click the five stars. And uh, to let other people know that there's great content in this podcast because of great guests like Julia. So Thank Julia, thank you so much for coming on the show. And before you go, uh, let listeners know uh, about you again and where they can get in touch. Yeah, thanks, Kwame. So um, I'm Julia Ewart, uh, J-U-L-I-A-E-W-E-R-T, JuliaEwart.com, The Negotiator. I've also started a group on LinkedIn because I've been asked to do it about a year ago. I didn't get around to it, but there's a group in LinkedIn that you can jump into and it's called, what have I called it? Make More Sales, Negotiate Better. So if you want to do either of those things or both those things or start or join a conversation about it, jump into the group. Fantastic. Well, great. Thank you again. And um, looking forward to the sparring session.
Thanks, Kwame. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.